All right, let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would speak to us this morning. Speak to us through your word as you have done for ages. And, and um, Lord, help us to understand what you have to say for us and how we need to apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you to start by turning to Romans chapter 8. As I uh, just review where we've been so far. In the first class on making wise choices, we established that our God is sovereign over all the affairs of the universe, and that includes the smallest details of, the lo- of our lives, that He is loving and personal, and He takes great interest in our lives. Then in the second class, we saw how God's loving care extends into the areas where we don't often think. We're often preoccupied with the events of our uh, daily lives, and we frequently neglect to focus on eternal things. What is our eternal destiny? How will we get there? What will it be like when we get there? And these questions of where God is going and what He's doing are often ignored when it comes to making decisions. Instead, we focus on questions like, where should I go to school? Whom should I marry? Or, you know, when I become an astronaut, should I, should I explore Venus or Mars? We, we're thinking about things that are related to us primarily rather than related to God's larger purposes. And so, last time we discussed how viewing these kinds of temporal questions through the lens of eternity will hap- actually help us to establish a path that is consistent with truth and wisdom. So, the idea is not that those questions aren't important, which job should I have? You know, which house should I buy? Those are not unimportant decisions, but they ought to be viewed in light of the larger decisions, the most important things in life, the eternal issues that God has left for us. So, in short, we have established that God has a plan for your life and He has determined to lead you on a path because He has a specific destination for you to go. So, God has a plan and He has a path on which He wants to put you. And last time we looked, you know, the, the primary thing that He's doing in us is in Romans 8.29, which is He is conforming us to the image of His Son. He's working out all things together for our good, and that good is our eternal conformity, which starts in this lifetime. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is, and we want to answer is, how does God lead us? How does God lead us? We are rational, moral, decision-making creatures, and so how is it that God instructs us in the way that we should go? And we could say, well, yes, through His sovereign, uh, through His sovereign and providential working, that's true. But but the question we're asking is not so much that in the largest sense, but rather, what instruments does God use to employ us to to lead us on the path that He has sovereignly chosen for us? What is, how is it that we hear from God and see what He's doing in our lives? And the answer uh, we're going to see first of all probably most broadly, is that God leads us by His Holy Spirit in Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. Would someone read those verses for us?
right, thank you. So, notice in verse 14 that everyone who is the Son of God is led by the Spirit of God. So, here is the best way that God leads us. It's through His Holy Spirit. And what kind of guiding is this? Well, verse 13 tells us what kind of guiding this is by the Holy Spirit. It is putting off the deeds of the flesh. Right? It's it's, uh, having a holy hatred for sin. It's having a righteous desire. And that kind of thing doesn't happen in the unregenerate man, does it? Look at verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here's the fundamental difference between you and an unbeliever, and that is that an unbeliever does not have the capacity, the capability to walk in the ways of the Lord. He cannot please God. But we who are led by the Spirit, who are indwelt by the Spirit, we who are sons of God, we are made alive and we now have a hatred for sin. We have a love for righteousness. And this is the greatest form of guidance that anyone can ever have. It's a new heart with new desires, new aspirations. It's the the inclination to even care about these things that we talked about last week. Sonship and inheritance, sanctification, glorification, good works. Unbelievers, aren't care, they don't care about those things. So, forget for a minute about the temporal things like jobs and homes and consider that you've been given the power to live a life of holiness before the Creator of the universe that will eventually result in eternal life. And this kind of lifestyle, this kind of mindset is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. So here is the most fundamental and the best way that God leads us today, and that is by His Holy Spirit. So, how else does God lead us? Well, God leads us by speaking to us, and this is really connected to His leading of the Holy Spirit. That is, that God gives us discerning minds for determining what is right and wrong. He gives us the ability to pursue what is right and, 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 then, um, and then make that choice. However, what about these decisions that are morally neutral, right? That are ethically neutral. Something that, you know, should I buy the blue car or the red car? What about those decisions? I mean, that's the question that we really want to answer. We want to learn how God guides us through those matters. You know, how can I know whether, or how, how could you know whether you marry Gretchen or Penelope? I already know who I should marry. Okay? If you marry the wrong one, the one that God has told you not to marry, well, will that result in ruin for the rest of your life? What if I take the wrong job? What if God wanted me to be a sculptor instead of a painter? What if I moved to Mozambique where, where God wanted me in Saskatchewan? And, and that's the kind of questions that we really want to answer. Those are the kinds of questions that we're constantly think of, thinking about. And, and there is a sense in, sense in which we're justified with asking those questions, right? It's, we have two choices and we want to make the right choice. And so let me just be clear that it's not wrong to think about these things. It's not wrong to, 
to, um, to give much uh, weight to these kinds of questions. It's not wrong to ask God for help or guidance in, in uh, d- determining which one is best. I mean, He is God after all. But, but how do we decide which path to take when we're presented with two or more choices that are equally ethical? And the answer is simple. It is that God speaks to us. God speaks to us. And the question is, how does He speak to us? So, before we can get to that answer, we need to first look at several incorrect views of how God speaks today. We want to consider some popular views, even in our Christian circles, for how God supposedly speaks to His children. And I think in these incorrect views, what we're going to see is that this is actually, um, this actually sees God as an unloving God. And the reason for that is because God is not clear in which choice we should make. Because these types of models or, or ideas for how God leads are not clear at all. And so I, I don't think it's a very loving method of God to lead in this way. So the first is, Impressions, inner peace, still small voice. They're all categorized under the same one because they're, they're essentially the same thing. Some have said, or perhaps many, that they've heard or felt God telling them what to do by some kind of impression that they have. And the way that we spiritualize it is we say, I have peace about this. I have an inner peace that this is the right choice. And so if I feel good about it, if I feel content about it, then this must be God leading because... No one else than God would make me feel this peace. Or it's also known as a still small voice, and that's this this kind of uh, idea, almost like our conscience is speaking to us, that yes, this is the right way to go. Or, you know, I had this idea to go this way, but then I had this other thought. And it's like this little thought bubble, you know, almost like a cartoon. This little thought bubble beca- became God's voice to me. And the the reason we... We come up with that idea of the still small voices from 1 Kings 19 where God speaks to Elijah with the sound of a gentle blowing. And I I think we can all understand why this method is so commonly appealed to. And that's because as Christians, we just got done reading in Romans 8 that those who are the sons of God are being led by the Spirit, Spirit of God, right? We are all indwelt with the Spirit of God. And so, in a sense... We're expecting that the Holy Spirit has the ability to say something to us. And often, this is how He works with us with regard to our sin, right? I mean, who tells us that we're sinning? Who convicts us? Is it not the Holy Spirit? And how does He do this? And so, in a sense, we, we have some rationale for why we would do this. I mean, who, who encourages, encourages us when we're in despair? Is it not the Holy Spirit? And, and there is a sense in which, uh, I mean, that is true, that the Holy Spirit does have a role in how we are encouraged and how we are convicted with our sin. But the way that I just described our guidance or how we determine our guidance um, with, between issues of, that, are, that are morally neutral, what we have to ask is, does God actually work in that way? Does God on a regular basis lead people in a certain direction um, which, which is neither biblical nor unbiblical? And what I mean by that is it's neither 
commanded or prohibited? Does God really lead through inner, inner impressions today? And do we have any teaching in the Scripture that points to this idea that, that we, can, we are led by inner impressions to make a choice between two morally neutral issues? Is that what 1 Kings 19 is really talking about with Elijah? Because has not God also spoken in thunder and earthquakes and fire? I mean, should we be listening to God through those types of means as well? I would suggest that when Christians have impressions or inner peace, that, that those impressions or inner peace, that feelings of inner peace, are not always divine guidance, but often can be self-guidance. How can we be sure that an impression or a feeling is actually given to us by God and not given to us by ourselves, by our own flesh? I mean, could, could our impression not be based on a number of other factors, variables of what's going on in our lives? You know, we're having a good week. The fact is, we can't be sure. So, can the Holy Spirit guide in this way? Sure, I think he has the, the ability to do that. But, but the question we're asking is, does he? I mean, does he inform every one of our impressions to make a choice about blue versus red? What we need to keep in mind is that, yes, the Holy Spirit does live inside of us, but, but we also are creatures with sinful natures. And so our flesh is also working to get us, listen to this, to get us to feel at peace about things. To give us impressions about what we ought to do. You see, this inner impression idea is, is often used by Christians as a way to justify our actions or to satisfy our consciences even when we know something is, is actually wrong. You know, I had... I knew this was the Lord's will because I felt at peace about it. Most of the time I would argue that our impressions or feelings come from within ourselves rather than from heaven. Let me give an example of an inner impression or a person who, a person who was at peace from Scripture. He's a prophet of God. And he felt that the, the wisest thing for him to do was to head off in a certain direction. And he did. And all the circumstances lined up that he was able to get on a boat. And he was at peace because he fell asleep. Who am I talking about? Jonah. I think he was at peace. I mean, how can you sleep if you're not at peace? And yet, he was far from what God wanted him to do. He was actually going against what God wanted him to do, and yet his internal mechanism had taught him that what he was doing was okay. Now, can the Holy Spirit give feelings of peace about a decision that a person makes? Sure. I think he can. I think, I think he often does. But, but here's what we have to guard ourselves against. We cannot order our lives based on our feelings. We cannot order our lives based on what we're impressed to do only. Because when we feel impressed to do something, when we feel that inner peace about something, 
we really have nothing certain there because we don't know if that piece is is from unless we have some biblical you know support for it we don't have any we don't have any reason to believe that that's from the spirit or from our own flesh the fact is our moods are always changing and so our, since our moods are always changing following this form of guidance will will lead to spiritual seasickness all right so the inner peace still small voice impression and you you may be looking back in your life you know what i've made I, I've made some key decisions in my life based on this kind of model. And now what you're telling me is, is that this wasn't from God? I'm not necessarily saying that. It could have been from God. But I'm just saying that that's not the best way to, to look for God's guidance or to, to determine the best pathway to what God is expecting of us. Uh, I think it's just a an uncertain way at best. All right, let me... See if you have any questions, then we'll move to the next one. Yes. Yeah, but I guess my point is not to to minimize any of those those things, but but the question is, what do the scriptures have to say about any of those? I mean, do, do, do believers are are they led like Paul, the apostles? I mean, obviously some of them are getting direct revelation from God, but but are just a, is an ordinary believer um, being led by impressions, or is there something else? So. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yep. And that's not what I'm calling for at all. But let me uh, let me keep going. So we'll touch some on some of these other ones that we use, and then hopefully we'll get to one that that is actually um, I think the most certain, most biblical. Second, circumstances and situation. Other me- method that we use to to um, determine God's will is to read circumstances read circumstances or our situation. This is called reading providence. Again, it's like the inner impression. It's not entirely wrong. Indeed, God is in control of history and everything that that happens, happens for a reason. So we can be confident in that. God knows it's going to happen. He's leading all the events. And even in, um, is it Hosea? I think it's Haggai, where God says, you know, there there are holes in your purses, your your agriculture. You keep filling up your bushels, but it keeps, you know, emptying which means, you know, I'm giving you these difficult physical circumstances to try to get your attention. So God does use circumstances. I'm not denying that at all. But as a method for determining what is right, I'm saying that that's not the best way to do it. We can't trust in, you know, every single little circumstance. The, the, the illustration that I always use is the red lights on the way to work or on the way to church. You know, like as if, Red lights are a way of God punishing us. And I've heard believers talk like that. Like, man, what have I done today that, that it caused me... 
do you realize that there could be some other believers going the opposite direction, you know, perpendicular to you, that are, are getting green lights? Okay? This is not how... If we're, if we're trying to analyze every little event that's going on in the universe, particularly our little universe is what we're doing, and, and using that as a way to determine, oh, God must be leading me this way. i got four red lights on the way to church. Maybe God's leading me to another church. Right? I mean, that's just foolish uh, to, to think in those terms. How much divine insight can we really get from reading circumstances? Do you remember the story? or really, the event that took place during the time of Jesus, the Tower, tower of Siloam fell, 18 people died. Jesus didn't tell why that tower fell. He didn't give um, an explanation. His point was, listen, if you don't also repent, you will all likewise perish. This is what we learn from tra- tragedies like this. We can't read these circumstances and say, God must be judging those people. Right? We We look at you know, 9-11 or some other catastrophe that happens in our country and we say, well, God must be judging our nation. But, but can we really say that when the Scriptures haven't said that? I mean, can we speak on behalf of God where God hasn't spoken? We're, we're good at doing that. We, we want to say that, but, but we have to be careful about that because maybe it's just that, you know, these kinds of things happen. You know, hurricanes take place. And, and people die. We don't want to minimize that, but, but the point that we ought to be thinking is, I need to make sure that I'm right with God, and I need to make sure my neighbor's right with God. That's what Jesus said that we ought to get from these natural catastrophes. Obviously, 9-11 is not a natural catastrophe, but you get the point. So here's an exaggerated example of what the circumreading providence might look like. Suppose someone's trying to determine, should I be a doctor or a lawyer? And he turns on the TV and behold, Blue Bloods is on. And so this must mean that God must be telling them that he must be um, a cop. Not a doctor, not a lawyer, but a cop. But, wait, one of the police officers gets shot and he's rushed to the hospital. So, let's go back to the other one. Must be a lawyer. Must be a lawyer. But, then a doctor helps him get better. So, God must want him to be a doctor, obviously. See, see what we're doing? We're taking circumstances that are happening. It doesn't have to be a TV show, but we could just take circumstances in life. Oh, I heard this lawyer just got sued. And he, he, he got, you know, banned. What do they call that when they take away your bar? Disbarred. disbarred, yes. He got disbarred, so that must mean I can't be a lawyer. I need to go do this. So that's an extreme case, but, but, but let's be honest. Have you and I not sought God's will in this way? And the problems with these, with this method is, is obvious. I mean, consider Job's friends. They tried to read Job's circumstances, and based on what was happening to Job, they determined what, what he had done and what way he ought to go. They tried to read the implications of God's providence, and as a result, they were greatly rebuked by Job first and then by God. Or how about the Israelites when they thought that God was killing them in the wilderness because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? Is this why you took, brought us out here? There's not enough graves in Egypt? See, they're reading their circumstances, and yet what God is doing is something much bigger, right? If the Israelites now look back on what had happened to them, they realize that, wow, God is actually bringing a great form of redemption to us, and He was actually 
painting a beautiful picture about how God God goes after, rescues His people. And the, the bottom line is that we just don't know how God's uh, mind works, why He's doing what He's doing. And so unless we can know for sure, then we shouldn't attribute it to God. All right, so circumstances or such situations. Thirdly, waiting for a sign. Another method we use to seek God's will is waiting for a sign. We think that every time we ask God that He's positively going to give us a sign. Sometimes that sign comes in the form of an inner impression. Sometimes that form comes in reading providence. So some, some way is going to give me an answer to the question that I have. But, but the truth is that God doesn't always give us answers. He doesn't always give us clear, uh, a clear response to what we ask. I'll take the previous example of the person who is deciding careers. And imagine that he asks before he turns on the TV, Oh, Father, what should I do with regard to my career? And then he turns on the TV and it all plays out and he determines he's going to be a doctor. And this is waiting for a sign. Now, granted, signs do occur in the Scriptures. People do... Um, People do get signs from God when they ask for, for them. Now, they don't get them from watching TV as far as I can remember, but, but there are times when someone has asked God for a sign to tell them what to do, like Moses with his stick that turned into a snake. Like, God, how can I be sure that you're going to do this? Just throw your stick on the ground. Or the sign of the virgin in Isaiah 9. But have you ever considered that the reason that these instances are recorded in Scriptures are because they're so rare. This is not like you're, you're just your average person just going out asking God for a sign. You know, which, which kind of occupation should I have? I mean, there's probably more or less chosen for them because they followed what their parents did. But, but or, or how many kids should I have, let's say, an Israelite? An average, average Israelite is not going to say something like that to God and God's going to give them a sign. These are rare in the Scriptures. And have you ever considered that actually asking for a sign is, actually, is a sign or an expression of a lack of faith? Isn't that what Jesus said? You wicked generation, you ask for a sign. But it's already been given to you. I've already told you what you need to know. Why are you asking for a sign? How about in the New Testament epistles? Can, can you think of any time where we're told to seek for a sign from God? Neither can I, because there aren't any. So, seeking for signs is just as uncertain as inner impressions and reading providence. And these methods are actually unfalsifiable. Do you know what I mean by that? It means it's, uh, it's unable to be disproved. So, you can say that you have, you know, that you've read providence and you've determined that this is the course of action, but there's no way that I can prove that, disprove that, Right? How can I know if that's true or not? I can't disprove it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually right. I mean, all a person has to do is say, I think this is from God. And then what can I say? Right? God led me to this place. How do you know that? There's no test that it can pass. There's no method of falsification. Now, I recognize that you know, that's not the best argument against these things because technically there's no method for me to disprove uh, that you're a believer. I mean, we do have 
We should see fruit. There's that. But, but let's say someone who just initially comes to Christ. So, so that's why I say this method of it not being unfalsifiable is, is not the best one. But, but what I'm getting at is that, that these methods are not concrete. And so what we have to do, what John told us to do in 1 John 4, 1, is to test the spirits to see if they're from God. And praise God that there's a way for us to test these things. Like the Bereans did, right? When Paul was making claims and making statements, they checked the Scriptures daily to see if what he had to say was true, Acts 17, 11. So we need to test impressions and signs. More, to, more on how to do this later. But the idea is that what we're trying to get at is what is certain? How can we know when we're making choices that, that our response, our expectation is actually certain? That's what we're looking for. Fourthly, the fleece. Remember the story of Gideon? He lays out the fleece at night. You know, maybe we could do something like that. Lord, if you want me to do this, maybe you prayed in this way, let the mail arrive after 1 p.m. If you don't want me to do this, let it arrive before 1 p.m. So we're looking at our clock. And now our, our course of action for the rest of our life is determined by Greg and whether he gets our mail to us or not. Greg's our former mailman here. In the... Okay. Judges 6 with Gideon and his asking for a fleece, was that a symbol of his faith or of his lack of, his, lack of faith? What do you think? I think it was his lack of faith as well. And so, and God worked in a different way. They didn't have the completed Scriptures at that time. We do. God has told us everything He wants us to know. And so, um, I don't think God speaks to us that way either. Here's one that sounds really spiritual, picking a text. Um, another common mistake is that someone will take a text of Scripture and claim it for themselves. Uh, this is a tricky one to argue against, and it's, it's hard because it sounds very pious. Um, my pastor growing up, uh, used, he, he joked that he, the reason he got the vehicle that he did was because he opened up his Bible and he turned to Mark 8. And so he got a Lincoln Mark 8. Is it, is there a Mark 8? I think there's a Mark 8. So that was the, that was a joke. But, but I've actually used this in, um, maybe you have too. Okay. And, and I'm not proud to say this at this point, but, but I'll, say it nonetheless just so you know that um, that uh, this is pretty common uh, I was trying to decide uh, when I started at a church back in the late 90s whether I should join the choir or not and lo and behold lo and behold I get to Exodus 14 and you know what's in Exodus 14 there's I think that was the text but but there's there's a record of a choir actually working for on behalf of Israel and singing praises to God. What must God be telling me if I'm actually thinking about this question while I come to this precise passage? See how we... I believe that God is sovereign. He can work out... He can speak to me in these ways. But is that really what the author of the text intended when it was written? That it would actually give direction to a person who was not sure whether he should join the choir or not? By the way, I joined the choir. I loved it. was there for several years. Okay, so maybe the right choice, probably the bad way to, to go about determining uh, how to do it. 
And so what we do in this way is that we take things out of their context and we use them for our own purposes. And, and I think we, in so doing, we actually strip the text of its actual meaning and actually turn them into meaningless statements that, that are directed primarily at our little, li- our little lives, our little choices. We treat the Bible more like a topical book rather than about a story than, than a story, right? We're looking for topics where, okay, speak to my issue. Here's my issue. Speak to it. It almost becomes like a, a genie in the bottle. And, and really, when it comes to, to the, all these methods, we tend to use them with temporal, um, unclear things. But, but let me ask you this question. Okay, what, what would you think if a believer came up to you and said, I heard a still small voice the other day and it told me that your unbelieving mom would come to Christ before she dies. We're like, wait a second, that's going way too far. How could God give you prophecy? Well, what's the difference between that and me deciding which job to take? Why do we, why do we, um, why do we say that it's okay for a person to, to have a still small voice when it comes to choosing a job and not about choosing the future or knowing the future what's the difference or you know i asked god for a sign and he told me that that you ought to get baptized and join this church i mean how would you respond to me you say well god doesn't speak that way god doesn't speak to you that way okay god doesn't talk through through signs in this age and you'd be right to say that and yet for some reason we find it's okay when it comes to our choices of Ethically, um, ethically neutral issues. So you might be thinking right now, okay, so we just scrapped every method that I've ever used to determine God's will, so now what? I mean, I'm just as uncertain as I was before, and I'm actually a little bit more uncertain. And, and I would argue that eliminating these methods does not make searching God's will confusing or more uncertain, but rather it actually makes it clearer. Because using these methods is actually confusing. Because think about it this way. What happens if we miss God speaking through these circumstances? What happens if we were zoned out while we were driving to work and we didn't think about how many red lights we actually got? What happens if if we fell asleep during Blue Bloods when God was trying to tell us to go work at the hospital? Or what happens if if I thought the still small voice told me to go to Schroeder's and work there and instead the still small voice was trying to tell me to go work at Kroger's? Or Kroger? Is it singular? Um, And so these methods are actually confusing, aren't they? Because we have to be honed in on all the exact things that God is saying and what if we're wrong? That's why I suggest that this is actually unloving of God to leave us with these methods for finding His will. So what about the plan B view? If you haven't heard this spelled out, very likely you've thought about it for yourself or others. The plan B view is that if you don't seek God's will for your life, then you could miss it and be derailed from, the, from living the best life possible. So it's this kind of idea.
this is very popular in Christian circles. Okay, this is God's perfect will for your life. Okay, this is the pathway. And the nature of this pathway is that it only has exit ramps, no entrance ramps. So we, we make a mistake way back here. We make an exit ramp and we're over here at plan B. Man, this would have been so much better if we could have been there. And, you know, we, we chose the wrong job. Plan B the rest of our lives. Kind of left to... Or, you know what? We made a huge moral failure. We had a huge moral failure. The rest of my life, plan B. Or worse, right? But there's no way to get back onto this because we made a bad choice back here. That's the plan B view. And so what we're focusing on is this little tiny line that is God's perfect plan for my life. And I have to know this. I have to get all these decisions right. If I get one of them wrong, I'm just toast. The rest of my life's going to be a wreck. And yet, instead, I'll end up with God's second best for my life or His third best or His fourth best. But it's not going to be my best. You know, so instead of marrying my soulmate, we could have just been so happy together. Instead, I had to marry some ungodly person who's turning me away from God and, and just a, a nag and a thorn in my side, right? Now, what's wrong with such a view? Any, any ideas? Anything wrong with that view? What is it? What do you think? Like, if, if you didn't follow God's perfect plan and you went to plan B, that there's no hope. And God gave us that. Yeah. And and really, we could go a step farther and say, you know, if we missed on this one, God had a plan B for us. We missed on this one, and uh-oh, now we're over here to plan C. And and right, it it takes away hope. It's, I think that's probably the best way to put it. It's depressing, Right. Exactly. We've actually become the, the determiner of our own circumstances. And now, now we, we don't want to go to the other extreme and say, well, we don't have any say in, in how our life turns out because then we'll, we'll just say, well, all our choices don't matter. And that's not where we're getting at. Eric, do you have something else? Yeah. Back to, and, and, it, and it really eliminates God's grace. I mean, can God use someone who's made a, a poor choice early in their life? Can God choose someone who chose a college that maybe wasn't the best choice? Can God use someone and, and do great things through someone who, who um, you know, poor, chose a poor career path? Yeah, and that's that's where we're heading. Um, that's where we're heading. Unfortunately, we're running out of time because I've been taking a lot of time to um, talk through this. So we might have to split this up into two, but um, let's just keep going and see how far we get. So where does this idea of seeking come from? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And, uh, you know, this kind of thought and and kind of tearing down our old methods of of um, of determining God's will has just rocked your world this morning. 
can I just encourage you to to read uh, Jonathan or not Jonathan Kevin DeYoung's book called Just Do Something, and um, it's a short book. You could probably read it in several hours, um, but but you would be much uh, you would receive much value from from that because this uh, he he takes you back to scripture and shows that you know our methods are pretty weak when it comes to determining God's will and um, so I have a copy of that book if you'd like to, to borrow borrow one. actually I have some extra copies that I purchased when we had it for the book of the month so if you'd like to buy one I could get get you one I think they were seven dollars so let me know uh, so where does this idea of seeking come from all these methods are uncertain and unfalsifi- unfalsifiable but if God loves us and, and He wants to communicate us, c- communicate to us, then why does He subject us to such uncertainty? And the answer is that He doesn't. He wouldn't. Instead, He speaks to us loudly and clearly. And that's why He gave us His Word. And, and our job is to seek guidance from His Word in the way that, that is right. Okay? Obviously, we can seek guidance from His Word in the wrong way, like picking a text idea. Um... Because seeking God's will for the sake of our own purposes is actually a pagan idea. Look at um, chapter 18, verse 14. For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. So, so these pagans were, were looking to their gods for answers. And what you would find is often when pagans would come into the, the um, Jewish community that they would, whenever they would have an opportunity to divine God, it was almost like a, a magic eight ball type of idea. Like, can, can you help me? I need, I need your wisdom. I don't care about all this moral stuff, and I don't care about you know, me following you all the way to the ends of the universe. I don't care about that and about repenting of my sin. Not that. Just the stuff that's with my life. And so, sorry about that, but these pagans are trying to gain insight into the future by manipulating their gods. And, and what Moses is saying is this is not something that we do. We've been saved out of this. And in fact, we ought to, to guard ourselves against this kind of, of thing because, verse 18, I will, raise up, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you and I will put my words in his mouth and I will speak to them all that I command him. So I'll tell you what you need to do, but you need to listen. And you need to do it on my terms. And so we, we have to guard ourselves against the um, the, um, the the magic eight ball type idea of using God in that way. Obviously, we can spiritualize that and say, well, there's a difference between us and pagans. We're asking for God's leading in this specific areas just like they are but the difference is we have a right motivation and and i would say yes that's true i mean there's some value in in doing that there's obviously new desires and and so on but but the point is that that um often we forget about the things that god has made clear and this is where we're coming to i'm, I'm going to have to split this up into two apologize for that um so we'll pick up on this next week but but where we're leading is God has told us everything He's wanted us to know in His Word. Every single thing. And in His Word, 
He is concerned about what is most important to our lives. And that is our relationship with Him. All these other choices are not unimportant. Should I marry this person or this person? Should I work at this job or that job? Those are not unimportant. But they are definitely of lesser importance than what God has left for us in His Word. So we have to start there and recognize that these choices that we want answers to and we want to make in a way that's pleasing to God need to be in submission to the larger choices. So what has God told me that He wants me to do? Okay. What, what kind of responsibilities do I have now that I should be fulfilling? You know, so should I take this second or third job? Well, the Bible's not going to tell you the answer to that specifically, but it is going to tell you principles that help you make that choice. That is, well, what other responsibilities do you have in your church and in your home? Are you fulfilling those or are you, are you punting? And if you are, then why do you think you can take another job that's going to take you away from church more and take you away from your family more? Maybe that's not God leading you, even though the person gave you a nice offer that was hard to refuse. Okay, so that, that's kind of a um, commercial preview there for where we're headed. But I don't want you to let, be left with, oh great, I have no way to seek God's face. I have no way to determine what God's will is. All these choices are unimportant and I can just do whatever because, hey, God has some kind of plan for me and He's going to bring me to it. I don't want us to think um, that way. Like, um, what's it called? Um, I say it's passive, but can't think of. Can't think of it. Um, all right. Any questions or comments? I know this is a lot, a lot of deeper thinking than we usually have on a. You know, we just got up. We just barely got our coffee in us. So, Bill. Yes. Horoscope? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that speaks to how desperate we can be for finding out what's going to happen next. And yet, in reality, we don't know. I mean, we, we, there's a lot of things that we just have to, we just have to make a choice and trust that, that we're doing what's best and what will ultimately serve God's, God's um, purposes. And um, the amazing part about God is that even when we don't make the best one, you know, He still uses it for our good and He still uses it to accomplish His purposes. So we don't have to fret that if we make the wrong one, um, that, that all things, you know, the, the universe is going to explode or something. All right, well, we need to be dismissed, so let me pray, and uh, we'll pick up here next week. Thank you for your attention. Lord, thank you for the time that we could think through these things, and I pray that we would um, be able to even consider these and meditate on them this week in a way that would be consistent with your word. Help us to know best how to follow your will. Help us not to to um, become pass, passive when we think about making choices, but but to be serious about every choice that we make, knowing that 
um, our choices have effects that will um, change our lives in the future. And, and so we want to be serious about them while at the same time recognizing that, that you have given us specific ways in which you lead. We pray for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.